once in a while, every five, six, seven, eight years, sometimes more than that, I'll rotate through a Bible study and try to just review the books of the Bible with you. That's why I really like the Haley's Bible Handbook. It's just a great little tool to review yourself on what the what, what the books are. And so, anyway, so here we go. This isn't working back here. I don't think the TV's on. Oh, yeah, we're on now. So, I want to go through the New Testament, the whole New Testament, in one night. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We'll go through most of the, we'll go through the four Gospels tonight. But I want to review the whole New Testament in kind of a very short, concise way. Uh, you know there's four Gospels. Don't assume everybody knows that, because not everybody knows that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four versions of what happened in Jesus' life from his birth, his ministry, his rejection, his death, his resurrection. And, and all four of them include various parts of his life. You may be surprised by some of this uh, information. And each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a different target crowd that they go for, a different target group that they go for. In the book of Matthew, it's a target group, Jewish, it's called the Jewish Gospel. Tradition has it that the Jewish Gospel was written in Hebrew originally, the Gospel of Matthew. There's no evidence, however. There's no extant copies of the Matthew in, it's just tradition. But so how true was it that there was a version in Hebrew or not? Nobody knows. All we know, we had the Greek version, and that's the version that, that everybody has actually some proof about. But there was, but it's specifically, it makes sense to me that it would have been in Hebrew because it was a gospel really to the Jews. There's a lot of things in Matthew that aren't in anything else. Each of the four gospels has a target group, as I mentioned. Uh, Matthew targets a Jewish nation and people, and Jesus uh, is, is represented in Matthew as the Messiah of the Old Testament. Now, Gentiles, they wouldn't know, they wouldn't know about that, and, that's, and it wouldn't, wouldn't interest them. They wouldn't even know about it. But the Jews were looking for the Messiah for, well, since Genesis, 4,000 years, and finally he showed up. We've been testified in every gospel. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's what we're order we're going to do it. Mark targets the Roman mind. Mark is very active and aggressive as you read it. It has a, you know, from this thing to the next thing, to the next thing, it moves. Mark moves along. Uh, we have Luke targets the Greek mind and answers man's desire to be perfect. Uh, the Greeks were involved in man. You know, they were the Greek, the Greek philosophers and the Greek games and everything was about making the perfect man and exalting man. So Luke deals with those in their mindset at least. John targets the whole world. John's the gospel in general, a gospel of the whole world, grace for all who believe. But you, as you read through them, you see this. There's a lot of proof to this, which I'm not going to give you tonight. The gospel are four portraits of Jesus Christ. 
Matthew, the king of the Jews, Mark, the servant, Luke, the son of man, and John, the son of God. That's the themes of those verses. As those books, as you read through them, you'll notice that. You'll also see in Matthew, the king of the Jews, he's, the, he, you see his credentials. In Mark, you see how he worked. In Luke, you see what he was like. And in John, you, you more than anything, you find out who he was or who he is. By the way, he was, he is, and he is to come. And going back to Matthew again, let me see if I can get this to come up. Matthew's kind of like a formal portrait. Now, most married people in this room, I don't know, I don't know if you hate to have your picture taken as much as I do, but my wife, as we were first married, wanted to go down and have a formal, uh, formal picture taken. I was like, why? We don't have to do that. We got Kodak and we got Instagrams and and she said, no, I want you to dress up. We all want to wear the same color clothes. And, and women go in excessive. You don't control them, man. They just get excessive. And so then you have, a, you have a child. God forbid you have a child like Chad. Now all of a sudden you got pictures, 500 pictures of the same child. And you got your formal picture. I mean, I've been into some houses and it's a shame. It's almost idolatry. I mean, I was, I was like, man, take some of those kids' pictures down. Uh, anyway, a formal portrait. When you look at when you look at Matthew, it's a formal portrait of Jesus Christ. When you look at Mark, he's a candid snapshot, just little snapshots of his life. And it's an by the way, the key word of the book of Mark is action. And so the book of Luke, you have a it's like having a, a, a moving picture of his life. My my uh, I dropped my hurricane insurance this year. I dropped it. it went up five thousand bucks a year. I dropped it. I'm, I'm going like the old Floridians used to go, no insurance. And so uh, they wanted, I am insuring it for liability, fire, and theft, which is much cheaper. Wait, which is a small amount of money. But man, they wanted me to take pictures of every room and take pictures of the outside from three or four angles and take all the outer buildings and inside all of that. And I'm like, man, why don't you just let me take a video? Well, that's what, that's what Luke is. Luke is a video of Jesus' life. Luke was a physician, very detailed in his writing and observation. A good physician has observation skill, and he had observation skill that none of the rest of them put in Jesus' life or recorded like he did. And then you have the book of John. You kind of have the x-ray of his personality. You see some of the most intimate parts of the Lord Jesus Christ you find in the Gospel of John. The 17th chapter of John is you literally get to come in and listen to the Father and the Son. You get to hear the Son talking to the Father. It's an intimate conversation that nobody ever would have a license to hear, but the Lord Jesus lets you hear it. Go back and read the 17th chapter in Matthew or John and, 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 and listen to the power of that conversation he has with the Father. And so those are the four Gospels kind of put out, and that's kind of what Haley's Bible Handbook will do for you. The importance of the Gospels, how important are they? Well, here's some facts. Four Gospels take up 48% of the New Testament, so about half the New Testament. How important it is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, take up half the New Testament. Uh, there are some of the longest books uh, found in Luke is the longest, Matthew, and then John, and then Mark. 
in that order. Now we're talking about the four Gospels. We're not talking about the whole the whole New Testament, but in the in the four Gospels, the longest book is Luke, second longest Matthew, third John, shortest is Mark. Uh, Mark, though short, is longer than the book of Revelation, which is the longest book uh, in the other New Testament books. Actually, the two longest books are the book of Luke and the book of Acts, are the two longest books in, in all of the 27 books of the New Testament. But as far as the Gospels is concerned, Mark's the shortest, but Mark is longer than Revelation. If you notice when you read the book of Revelation, how quick it goes by. Boom, 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 boom. Moves right on. I thank the Lord that God is not into overkill when it comes to writing. I just can't read people that just, it's hard for me, read people that take 30 pages to say what you could say in one page. I don't know, maybe it's who I am, where I was born, and what's going on, I don't know. But whew. The people that wrote in the 1600s, I have books I read in the 1600s, 1700s. Those boys... First of all, they got a vocabulary. Man, I got to stop and Google it. Like, you know, Siri, what's this word mean? Because, I mean, they go into some definite, they just use normal, I guess it was their normal street language, was sophisticated. Well, take away TV, take away internet, and all they had was books and reading entertainment. They didn't have DVDs. How would you raise a child without that? Oh, I thought I'd mention that. Some more interesting facts. Papyrus was the uh, paper of the day, usually a foot square. It would be glued together to form a scroll, maximum about 30 feet long. Our Gospels are very short, as even ancient literature is compared to that, ancient literature. It takes about eight or nine hours to read all four Gospels carefully. So, if you read a half hour, let's just say eight hours, if you read a half hour of the Bible a night, in 16 days you have been through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many people have smartphones? Raise your hand. Come on, cough it up. Look at your FaceTime. In the front of your phone, you can ask it, how much FaceTime have I had today? It'll shock you. How much FaceTime? Have I had today? So reading a reading half hour is nothing compared to FaceTime. I mean, even I, I'll look at my now FaceTime includes phone calls, anything that comes on your over your phone. And so sometimes I'll have two hours and a half, two hours and forty-five minutes face screen time, they call it. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I don't want that much time on the phone. Of course, I'm looking at Israel war news. That that adds a little. I want to know what's going on in the war. I want to know what has happened with Hamas, so I suppose some of that's there. But you don't want to do that more than you read the Bible, more than you seek God's face. You wouldn't want to do that. Most biographies and historical accounts are massive in detail and length. They really are. Like I say, a lot of the older writings especially are just solo. Matthew Henry's commentaries in the New Testament are I love Matthew Henry. I'd love to meet him someday. I hope I get to. He's a tremendous guy. Did a great job. But wow, you talk about wordy, 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 wordy. The Gospels do not endeavor to tell all about Jesus. Just what's necessary to understand him and his mission. In other words, you're getting information that you need 
not any frivolous information in the Bible. There's no frivolous information in the Gospels. And I'm going to make this clearer in a minute here. Only two Gospels relate events about his birth, Matthew and Luke. Only one Gospel records about his boyhood days, and, and there's not much about that, and that's in Luke chapter 2, 41 and 52. The first 30 years of, of, of Jesus' life is mostly a mystery. People want to know about what was he like as a kid. What did he, we don't know. Of his public ministry, it's generally agreed that he had 3.5 years of public ministry. That's not a lot. The event recorded, the events recorded seem to have happened in about 50 different days. This is an amazing fact. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they actually only let you in on 50 days of a three-and-a-half-year ministry. That's all you get to see. 50 days of a three-and-a-half-year ministry. The Bible's a need-to-know book. It tells you what you need to know, not what you want to know, necessarily. The last week of his life is recorded much, much more. They call it the, it's called the Passion Week. That's in much fuller detail. There's no description of Jesus' appearance, his dress, but what I like to know about that more, with little about his inner thoughts and struggles of reactions to opposition. You don't get to know about all that. I believe Jesus was not handsome. You know that. I preached on a sermon called Jesus Was Ugly. And that's taken directly from Isaiah 53. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He was not somebody that you'd walk in a crowd and you'd say, well, that's a, that's a leader there. That's a handsome man. And he wasn't. I'm not saying he was ugly, ugly. But I don't believe he was, well, there's no beauty that we should desire him. I mean, that's pretty strong. You know, if my wife told me that, that would hurt my feelings. You know, if my wife comes to me and says, honey, I really didn't like the way you looked, but I loved your personality. I don't know if it'd be a compliment or a slap in the face. I don't know. But I did tell her as I grew older and my looks went bye-bye that I'm a good maintenance man. And that's, that's worthy. Being a good maintenance man is worthy. Amen. Some other guys, I get around a bunch of men, they got a lot of sympathy with me on that. The Gospels are not a biography in a normal sense because it only gives 50 days of his life. Matthew was a favorite Gospel of the early church. Makes sense. Who was the early church? Jews. Yeah. They're made mostly up of Jews. Eventually became Gentile, and the Jewish population got way outweighed by all the conversions of the Gentiles through Apostle Paul and those that followed him, and John Mark and some other people that were out there uh, being beat, beat up for Jesus. Wow. With Mark being the, last, the least favorite due to the fact that almost entirely everything's in Mark is in Luke and John, in Luke and Matthew, excuse me. So most of Mark, I think 90% of Mark, is found in the books of Luke and Matthew. So if you read Luke and Matthew, you got pretty much everything found in Mark. So it was, became the least favorite. It's interesting. The church, of the, the order of the Gospels uh, is old. As far as 200 A.D. with uh, Arrhenius, uh, Origen, and Eusebius, all ordering it such. Now let me explain something. Sometimes people think there was a consul. About 200 A.D. there was a consul of the early church. The leaders of the early church got together 
and formulated and solidified the order of the New Testament. The books, which ones were inspired, which ones were not. There are books that tried to make it into the Bible that were thrown out. Okay? So, but let me let me say this real, real, get this good. Those people did not decide arbitrarily the, the order of the New Testament, what books were and what books were not in the New Testament. The church had already decided what that was. The church. Who is the church? That's people like you and me. What does the church have? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit collectively in the early church decided what books were inspired, what books were not inspired, and what order those books were to be put in in the scriptures. It wasn't just one group, a council of men that arbitrarily said this is what they were acting, they were acting on something that was well known. And they just officially put the stamp of approval on it, said this is what it is, this is what we see it is, this is what has come down through the, the since the beginning, and these are the books that we believe got inspired. So it was, it was God. God that wrote it preserves it. The first three Gospels are in parallel. What does that mean? They're all telling uh, pretty much the birth, the life, the teachings, the rejection, the crucifixion, Passion Week, crucifixion, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a little bit after the resurrections, a little bit of what went on after he was raised and taught his disciples. That's pretty much what they tell in parallel. So they, they're called synoptic gospels. That's a fancy word for parallel gospels. As birds of a feather, they flock together. John is a lone eagle that soars above all the, all the rest of the three synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is different. 90% of John is not found in any of the three synoptic gospels. So when you read John, you're reading mostly unique material. And it's about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, without him, him was not anything made that was made. Right off he starts out who Jesus is. And it's John 8 that where Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. I am going back to the bush, burning bush. Jesus, in John chapter 5, where Jesus gives five, re, five testimonies of his deity. You'll, you'll find tremendous uh, uh, evidence in the book of John of who Jesus is. So some comparisons between the Gospels. The first three Gospels are in Galilee chiefly. John is in Judea. Galilee's up north. John mostly talks about what went on in the south. The first three start off with great Galilean ministry. John reports of the earlier time in Judea and Samaria almost skips the Galilean ministry, which was so important. The, the cities of Bethsaida, Capernaum, Capernaum, Nazareth, and those areas, uh, so many miracles were done in those areas. In fact, more miracles were done up there than down south, for sure. The first three make no specific mention of the Passover until the Passover week, which is the Passion Week. John mentions there were three Passovers. Well, that's the three-and-a-half-year ministry, see, three Passovers. Nobody else does. John is 90% unique material and events recorded. So, let's talk about the two covenants. 
Bible is made up of two covenants, or sometimes translated in the last will as a last will and testament. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. The testament is made of one person and presented to another for acceptance or rejection. If accepted, then it is binding legally. As the Old Testament is God's revelation of his holiness and his righteousness, standard of law with provision for failure by a sacrificial system. Do you see that? You want to know, you want to know the holiness of God. Where do you have to go? Got to go to the Old Testament. You want to know his indignation on sin against sin, you have to go to the Old Testament. You learn something about God in the Old Testament that you, don't, you do not learn in the New Testament. Christ came as the Lamb, sacrificial Lamb of God, the harmless Son of God. Now, I will say this, if you want to see God's righteous and holy indignation against sin, you've got to look at Calvary. It pleased the Lord, Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, the crucifixion, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. That statement mystifies me. But had, had not God the Father legitimately punished the Son for our sins, he could not have substituted for our sins. When it says Christ died for our sins, it means he was punished for our sins. Legitimately, in the eyes of God Almighty, perfectly, completely. So there was nothing left to punish. So when I go to God now as a born-again believer, there's nothing left to punish. It's all been punished. Now, my works, obviously, someday will be judged, and some will be burnt, and some will be left, and that'll be all hashed away, hashed out. But my sin is forever under the blood in Christ. It has been, you know what the courts, they, they don't think they believe this for Trump, but they, they, we're not supposed to have what they call je double jeopardy. You shouldn't be tried for the same crime twice, Okay. And Christ will not be tried twice. The Bible says over and over again in the book of Hebrews, especially, he died once for all. That's all it had to be. The New Testament is God's embodied revelation of the holiness of God in his utterly impeccable Son. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ, with a provision for failure through the faith in his sacrificially and substitutionally shed blood. So in the Old Testament, we have a standard of law with a provision for failure by sacrificial system, which did nothing to take away sin. It just covered it until the Lamb, which was predicted from Genesis 3.15, would finally come and make a legitimate blood sacrifice that God the Father actually would accept in the long haul which was the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, had cleansed us from all sin. Isn't that beautiful? That's good news tonight. We are winning. We're winning. If you know Christ, your Savior. The New Covenant. The first appearance of the phrase appears in First Communion, 
That's quite a ways in. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's also found in the gospel. Likewise, there's this cup in Luke chapter 22-20. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying to you, said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. For those wanting to go back in the same old, same way, the old covenant, the writer of Hebrews comments, and boy, he does. For if this first, if, if the first covenant had been faultless, that is the law, Moses, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with the first covenant, he said, Behold, days come, saith the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And so you can look at Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34, also to help you with that. And I think we're going to have that here. Hebrews 8, 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them in the, out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. They failed miserably. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Being born again is a fulfillment of that. Having the Holy Spirit dwell. Know you not that you're the temp, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's fulfillment. And uh, actually, I, Jeremiah 31, as well as Hebrews 8. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. We celebrate Christmas worldwide. If somebody doesn't know about Jesus, at least the name of Jesus or who he is or what he is, they've got their head in the sand. Worldwide. It's on the internet. We have huge Easter celebrations worldwide. We have Christmas celebrations worldwide. God the Father has made sure that the name of his son gets out there. For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will, I iniquities will I remember no more. The devil comes by and reminds you of your iniquities. Does he not? God won't. How do you know it's the devil? Because God forgave you. Forgave you. The devil says, oh, you were rotten. And all I say to him is absolutely. Absolutely rotten to the core. But Jesus saved me. Has forgiven me. And put it behind his back, fires the east is from the west, to evidently eventually be remembered no more. The sin be remembered no more. And he saith, a new covenant hath I made with the first. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made. The first He made the first old by saying he had a new one. Now that which de decayeth and waxeth old as the law of Moses is ready to vanish away. And in Corinthians, Paul does, I think it's the third chapter, does such a job of comparing the new and the old and how the old is going. I mean, it's just, I think there's seven or eight points where he compares them together there. A fabulous job. I mean, we're not, I feel so sorry for people wanting to put themselves under the law. So the Old Testament reference to coming a New Covenant Testament. Whoa, look at how fancy that was. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord Jeremiah, 
31 30. This is Old Testament. Then I will make a new covenant. So it's spoken of in the, in the, in the Old Testament. It's the new covenant spoken of in the Old Testament. Speaking of the New Testament. Coming. The new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A new co- according, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, uh, which my covenant they break, although I wasn't husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We have a relationship in the new covenant. A relationship with God through Christ. So we have a better covenant with better promises. And by the way, that's the theme of the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews 8, 6. I'm just about done here. But now, he that obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also is a mediator of a better covenant, and that's actually the right straight from the book, which was established upon better promises. How crazy it is to want to go back to the first covenant, which was meant to bring us to the second covenant. And of course, that's said in the Bible, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, wherefore the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we no longer under a schoolmaster. How much clearer can you be? Yet you've got a, a, large, a large group of people called Seventh-day Adventists that want to go back under the law. You also have a group of Jews. They're, they're, uh, they say they're born again. I can't remember the name of them right now, but they put themselves want to put themselves back under the, the laws of Moses. It's just wrong. Judaizers, it's wrong. So the second covenant was first relay. How do I know that? Well, in 21 and 66 B.C., Abraham was not displaced. Abraham, <laughs> Moses, which came after Abraham, cannot displace him. Now, the Abraham and his seed were promises made. It was by faith, by the way. He said, not into seeds, speaking of many, speaking of Christ, but as of the one, that is Christ, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And that's what it says right there. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years uh, after, cannot disannul that which should make the promises of none effect. In other words, the law coming doesn't disannul grace. How was Abraham saved? By grace through faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, then there came the law. And they began to worship the structure of the law, not the God of the structure. And it was just, the law was just to bring it, bring society to the place where God did not have to destroy it again with a flood and could bring it to the place that Christ could be born and be the be the ultimate savior of the world through his death, burial, and resurrection, and that this new covenant that he would place the Holy Spirit literally within us could be fulfilled. And look at where we're at, 2024. We are children of that covenant. We're children of that covenant. 
For if the inheritance be of the law, there's no more promises. But God gave it to Abraham by promise because the law said, do the law, right? Do the law, you'll be blessed. Break the law, you'll be cursed. Wherefore, then serveth the law. Well, why was the law brought about? Well, I told you that it was added because of transgressions to the seed, that is Christ, the seed, not seeds, should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the midst, in the hand of a mediator. So there you go. I hope I didn't lose you on that. So Christ's substitutionary sacrifice was before the creation of the world. And we're going to stop right there because next week I want to finish this out. You don't want to miss next week. There was more next week probably as far as interestingly than even this week. Christ's substitutionary sacrifice was planned before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that twice in the New Testament. Father, thank you tonight for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Bible. Pray that we would be able to have eyes, open our eyes, that we may understand the Scriptures like He did on them boys to the road to Emmaus. Help us to understand it. What we don't understand, help us to just trust you that someday we will understand. If there's anybody in this room with the sound of my voice that knows not what it means to be born from above, have their sins forgiven, may they seek out the Gospel, John 3.16 through verse 21. John 3.36, Romans 10.9, Ephesians 2.8-9. And may, Lord God, you help them to turn to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947-1285. Thank you and God bless.